Hello and welcome to the February 13th uh, edition of the Redheaded Preacher Podcast. On, on Sunday, February 13th, we listened to two passages uh, from Jeremiah and Luke 6. You will hear them read by Annie Nortz very shortly. Uh, the sermon title is Blessings, Woes, and the Reign of God. R-E-I-G-N, the reign of God. And I will be preaching out of the Luke passage. And I'll be referencing other scriptures that aren't heard otherwise. I am Richard Lanford. I'm the redheaded preacher of St. Peter's. And I appreciate you tuning in to this and giving us a listen. I hope you are spiritually fed by what you're about to hear and challenged, perhaps. And before going further, as I often do, I invite you to join me in a brief word of prayer. Eternal God, it is indeed a privilege to preach your word, to bring interpretation to it in ways that will enlighten us and perhaps, or hopefully, build up our faith so that we can turn and build up the faith and lives of others. This blessing we humbly ask, that you will consecrate this time of listening even if it's broken up into different times, because that's what life brings. can't listen to it all at once. Regardless, we humbly ask that you will grace this time so that we may shine your light better wherever we go. For we are here for you. In the name of Christ our Savior, amen. And here we go with Annie and Jeremiah 17. Our first reading is from the book of the prophet of Jeremiah, chapter 17, verses 5 through 10. Based on Psalm 1, Jeremiah talks of trusting in God versus those who trust only in what they see. Thus says the Lord, Cursed are those who trust in mere mortals and make mere flesh their strength, whose hearts turn away from the Lord. They shall be like a shrub in the desert, and shall not see when relief comes. They shall live in the parched places of the wilderness, in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. They shall be like a tree planted by water, sending out its roots by the stream. It shall not fear when heat comes, and its leaves shall stay green. In the year of drought, it is not anxious, and it does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is devious above all else. It is perverse. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, test the mind and search the heart to give to all according to their ways, according to the fruit of their doings. This ends the reading from Jeremiah. Our second reading is also our gospel passage. This morning, it is Luke 6, verses 17 through 26. In Matthew, we have what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Luke's gospel has a similar set of teachings, but instead of being on a mountain, Jesus is on a level place. So it is called Sermon on the Plain. This This passage is the beginning of it. Jesus came down with the disciples and stood on a level place, 
with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, and the coast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all in the crowd were trying to touch him, for power came out of him and healed all of them. Then he looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven, for that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. Here ends a reading from Luke and our scriptures for today's service. May God grant us a wise and generous understanding of this, God's holy word. As if life was not anxious enough. Along comes the lectionary with this passage from Luke. There are great things in it, of course. How can you and I not love that all these folks came from lots of places to hear Jesus, quote, and to be healed of their diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all in the crowd were trying to touch him, for power came out from him and healed all of them. Yay! This is good. But let me share with you how I felt decades ago when confronted with images about the second half of our passage, about those who are rich, those who are full now, who are laughing now. These images were drawings from Latin America, and even at seminary they spoke to me. They were intimidating. I felt indicted and left me with tensions which linger still. Am I among those upon whom Jesus pronounces woe? I'm not poor. I do not have to worry about having enough food. And I laugh more often than I come close to crying. And we know that compared to most of the planet, even if we struggle between paydays, work extra jobs, or need a government aid, there's a richness to us, relatively speaking. You may have even caught yourself complaining about something to a friend and stopped yourself saying, I know, first world problems. So what do I do with this? What do you, I, and our churches do with this? Especially when, unlike Matthew, whose version adds in spirit to blessed are you who are poor, Luke does not. They do both use the same Greek word for poor, patokoi, which means dirt poor. Luke just lays dirt poor out there in all its sad and grinding reality. Blessed are you who are dirt poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And those who are rich, well, likely they have received their consolation. Say what? Just by being better off than most of the world? Not exactly, I don't think. 
This is surely, as our bulletin cover euphemistically says, surprising teaching. I'm reminded that the Gospel of Luke particularly presents the kingdom or reign of God as this world turned upside down through Jesus. And that stuck with me. Um, Christian singer-songwriter Michael Card recorded an entire CD inspired by Luke's Gospel. And the CD itself and the first song, the title track, are called A World Turned Upside Down. Part of it goes, Oh Lord, oh my Lord, the time has come for turning. Oh Lord, take this world, turn it upside down. The lame will walk and the deaf will talk. The time has come for turning. The blind will see and the slave be free. Turn it upside down. Woe to the rich. Woe to the free. Woe to the righteous ones who say they see. And blessed are the sufferers to those who wail and mourn. The world is turning upside down and you can be reborn. Oh Lord, oh my Lord, the time has come for turning. Oh Lord, take this world, turn it upside down. When Jesus finishes both the blessings and the woes, pointing to a new world turned upside down, he ends with blessing those who are reviled, hated, because they follow and preach Jesus. The woes go to those who, like false prophets of old, who told the sovereigns what they wanted to hear. They do not speak God's truth, which can be hard, because they crave popularity and acceptance. So the woes and the blessings are related to Jesus, the one who turns the world upside down. This is all reign of God, kingdom of God stuff. And something I read reminds me that it points back to the Isaiah 61 prophecy from Luke 4, Jesus quotes, in which he said he fulfilled that prophecy. Things being turned upside down, letting the oppressed go free, good news to the poor, recovery of sight to the blind, etc., I believe that the reign of God, which Jesus inaugurated on earth, can be the lens through which you and I try to understand, try to interpret what Jesus is saying in his blessings and woes. There are spiritual aspects, but not spiritualized. Our spiritual lives, after all, are revealed in the brass tax dollar and cents ways we live our lives and treat other people including how we treat God. The spiritual aspects also help us see beyond some of our current or physical circumstances, just as the blessings and woes point that way too. We are pointed to and enabled to live in a world Jesus came to turn upside down, and in some ways has. Resurrection, anyone? If you would, think with me again about that Isaiah text that Jesus read in Luke 4, which we did hear here on January 23rd. Well, since then, 
you and I can point to some ways those prophecies have already started happening. Even in our own recent history, they have been happening to some extent, and they did in Christ's time. In our time, poor people get good news. There's Social Security and Medicaid. There are scholarships to higher education that you might qualify for. There are many organizations on Chicago's south and west sides that are trying to attract businesses, investments by businesses and community centers and groceries and health clinics, and that's been going on for decades. And there's been a renewed push and working together in these efforts. Not enough, true, to overturn the damage is done by redlining and more. However, Jesus and the prophet Isaiah do refer to a completeness that is still in the future. As one is taught in seminary, the reign of God is now, and it is not yet. As Jesus fulfilled Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2, because the Lord has anointed him to do all those things and get them underway, so they are still on track to be completely fulfilled when Christ returns. The church works until then, advancing the agenda of our Lord, helping turn the world right side up. Right? Right. The upside-down kingdom of God is now. Even Jesus said the kingdom of God is among you or within you. But the kingdom of God is also not yet. This explains the form of some of the couplets Jesus spoke. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Present tense, present tense. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled present tense, future tense. Blessed are you when people hate you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, present tense, present tense. You hear the present tense matched at times with the present tense. Kingdom of God is here. But in, uh, and now, but in others we hear present tense, you who are hungry now, who are full now, followed by a future not yet tense. You will be filled. You will be hungry. When you and I hear these challenging words, remember that Jesus is teaching about the reign or the realm of God, that he has begun on earth before going to heaven, a kingdom which is now and not yet complete. So what about the people upon whom Jesus pronounces blessings and woes? In those days, in Jesus' day, those who were hungry and poor and grieving had little help from those who were well off. There was not a lot of philanthropy that I've been taught about. Remember, rather, that Jesus told a parable about a rich man and Lazarus. It's in Luke 16. Did the rich man ever try, excuse me, did the rich man ever send any food Lazarus's way? Or invite him in? from the weather, or try to establish any kind of relationship with him. No. That was believable to the parable's listeners. It reflected their reality. Jesus also in Luke told the parable about the foolish farm lord whose fields overproduced. He had a fantastic harvest, and he decided not to share even part of it. 
No, he gave the command to build bigger barns to hoard this stuff in. And later that night, quote, when his soul was demanded of him, this man was told he was condemned because he was not rich toward God. To quote, Jesus summed that parable up by saying, this is how it will be for anyone who stores up treasure for himself but is not rich toward God. Well, those rich who were not rich towards God in the now and in the not yet, eternal trouble was waiting in the not yet. Riches, food, popularity, good times were all that mattered. Not sharing, not thinking about anyone else, let alone those in need. And on the other hand, those who found that wealth and full plates and good times, nice as they are to be sure, did not satisfy their soul. And so they found and gave themselves to Christ, who did satisfy their soul. They were sharers. When Jesus died, he was buried in a tomb owned by Joseph of Arimathea, who Matthew says was a rich man. In the book of Acts, Barnabas owned a property. He sold some of it and gave the money to the church. There are those who were rich in the now, but they are rich towards God in the now. 1 Timothy 6 famously exhorts, as for those who in the present age are rich, and he's talking to disciples, command them not to be haughty or set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God, who, provides richly, who richly provides us with everything. They are to do good, to be rich, in good works, generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that, they may make, so that they may take hold of the life that really is life. On the flip side, Jesus praised the poor widow who put two small coins in the temple treasury one day, giving to God even out of her poverty. It seems that the world Jesus came to turn upside down, appealing to those who wanted to live in a realm where mercy, generosity, justice, love, forgiveness, and faith vitally mattered. The poor often responded because they recognized something many rich persons could not, the higher calling of a life with God, the higher calling of giving and self-giving and service to others. Others of all financial stripes responded to Jesus as well. The now and the not yet, a world turning upside down. In Luke 19, the most famous of those who were rich and ate well and yet wished he was popular, turned his life around after encountering Jesus in his now, Zacchaeus, the tax collector, he did not hoard, after this, after he met Christ, he did not hoard any longer what he had. He caught the vision of this new world where God and others come first, and he wanted to be in that. So he made amends to everyone he'd ripped off. His now, that was headed for doom, now turned upside down in time. He got it in time. This is what I'm doing. It ain't right. And he makes amends. His life was changed. So it can be for others who are well off and uncaring, 
who are disconnected and find value only in material things and temporal pleasures and do not try to help anyone. Families, it comes to my observation and experience, uh, families have so much influence in preparing the way for such a message of love, faith, and helping others to take root and grow therein. Families of faith can model the desire for and pursuit of the world turned upside down in ongoing fulfillment of Jesus' ministry of bringing good news to the poor and liberty to the captives, freedom for the oppressed, breaking yokes. The reign, realm, or kingdom of God is a framework to understand or interpret the blessings and woes that Jesus proclaimed. There are spiritual dimensions, for sure, to perceiving and receiving God's reign, which play out in how we live and work and worship and seek to lift up the downtrodden, even as Mary's Magnificat sang that God will do, even as Zacchaeus sought to do, and Jesus and Lydia and countless others. Blessings, woes, and the reign of God also speak to you and me through the time we are in right now. And I'm referring to Black History Month. Now, I grew up in mostly white environments, but knew there was more to life than that. It was during Black History Month in Chicago uh, when I was early in my years as a religious volunteer at Cook County Jail. I was still at St. Nikolai, and I first really learned in the chapel of uh, Division 5 about Emmett Till. I saw on the wall taped up photocopies of the newspaper pictures of the open casket. I learned about the case and read about it on those chapel walls and then about more such atrocities. At an Illinois conference annual meeting years ago, there were copies of a new hardcover book that had come out filled with photographs of lynching. And then I was in more than one anti-racism training, learned more about Jim Crow and how black World War I veterans were treated upon coming home. And eventually some of us at this church took up the UCC's curriculum on white privilege. And that was published by the United Church as a resource for churches to have sacred conversations about race. And I'm sure I speak for all who took the study together that we learned a lot over a broad spectrum and still helps us interpret what's going on today. Now you who were here then or since listened, or, or since listened to me heard some of what we learned in my sermons. And if you do remember, you'll see how I bring up blessings and woes and the kingdom of God as these passages pertain also to how we treat brothers and sisters of color. Was the practice of redlining created and implemented by persons who also actively cared for those who endured centuries of abuse and exploitation and disenfranchisement and abuse and murder? I doubt it. God is the judge. In seeing the wide disparities in education and access to health care when the pandemic kicked in, in disparities at so many levels for so long a time, that we knew they were not at all accidental. 
but designed as part of a system, we wonder. Are disciples of Jesus today desiring to be part of a generation that keeps working to dismantle those upside-up, cynical, well-fed systems so those who hunger rather for a truly loving, upside-down, downside-up, God-honoring world then can dig in to those efforts and thrive. Amen. I do sometimes end a sermon with a question. This does bring to a conclusion our podcast for February 13th. Next week, the seventh Sunday after Epiphany, for February 20th, I'll probably be preaching out of Luke 6, 27-38, which includes Jesus' teaching on loving your enemies. And I might spend some time in Genesis 45, Uh, because that has a little bit to do with a fellow named Joseph encountering his brothers after many, many years of him being in Egypt because of what they did. But until then, I thank you again for listening, and may God bless you, and God bless your week. Amen.